This is your reminder, Black Lives Matter. This is Soccer Better, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. We're Liz and Laura Ellen. Between the two of us, we have way too many years of graduate education to be helpful. We decided to journey into the world of critical thinking and the analytical side of all things soccer. Join us as we discover how we can all soccer better. Liz, we are back with episode eight. We've stuck with this. Of season two of Soccer Better. This, I think it's a miracle, Liz. We think... I think it's a miracle. And I still like it. I know. And I still like you. What? Well, I knew no. I'd like you. That was fine. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've had some really great conversations and I'm excited to see where this one goes. So let's just jump right in. Let's How does do that it. sound? Tell me about it. What are we reading? All right. So today's article is entitled Cognitive Functions in Elite and Sub-Elite youth soccer players aged 13 to 17 years and it was done by Hugen and colleagues from the Netherlands and it was published in 2015. So that is our start here and I guess I can just briefly talk about what they did. So um, this team of researchers looked at lower level and higher level cognitive functioning in uh, these youth soccer players. And they looked at differences between elite and sub-elite youth. And they used different um, tests like memory tests and the trail making tests and a stop signal task. Uh, So these are all things to test different types of cognitive function. And so then what they did was they conducted these um, assessments between the two groups. And then they compared them to see if there were differences between the elite soccer players who, you know, practice a lot and have a lot of games and things, and then sub-elite soccer players. So that is the overarching premise of this paper. And so let's, let's jump right in. Was there anything right at the beginning that really stood out to you? Uh, the first things that stood out to me was they only looked at male soccer players. So I would be interested in seeing if there was a difference in males versus females at the same levels. And also what they meant by elite and sub-elite. So the elite players were the top uh, 0.5% of all players in their age groups. Like these kids are the best of of the best. But the sub-elite, like all they really meant was we just needed a wider range of kids. So they're still the top 12 0.5% of players. I thought it's weird that it's 12.5%. Like you couldn't just on the top 10%. Maybe they couldn't find enough kids. Who knows? Uh, But these are all high performing kids who have a lot of stuff on their plate. So those were the two things that really jumped out at me immediately. Also that I didn't know what any of these tests were and I had to learn. Yes. um, Yeah, I didn't, I hadn't heard of any of them, I don't think, before. Uh, But yes, I agree. Looking at boys, it probably was, this is, these are the kids that we have access to. Oh, sure. Um, I was trying to figure out, like, if I could uh, figure out what club they were at, uh, but I, like, couldn't, I couldn't figure that out. Anyway, but um, yes, I think it has to do with who they had access to, one, And then, you know, I think we've talked about this on previous episodes, but, you know, boys and girls tend to develop differently, especially going through adolescence, like their cognitive functions develop at different times. And so 
you know, in order to really see, like, does playing elite soccer really have an effect? You want to have as many things as similar as possible. Um, So I could kind of understand, you know, picking, you know, just to do the boys. But I also, I like, that was one of my first thoughts. I was like, okay, well, you could have done the exact same thing in, like, an elite girls club as well um, to try and capture some of that. So, yes, I think one of the other things, um, I, I found it interesting because they kind of set up their studies saying that the skills that you learn at elite levels of soccer transfer to other areas of your life later on. And that was something that, yeah, like, yeah, that's probably true. I, I also think, and I, this is something I've kind of argued, you know, when we did that, uh, Minnesota, survey study yeah um my thing is i think some of the skills that you learn in any extracurricular activities that you do in a, at an elite level apply throughout your entire life right like it's not just it's not like this unique thing about soccer it's about having the socialization and the discipline um to practice or you know whatever it may be so i don't know <laughs> that's kind of even though our podcast is about soccer specifically i feel like I need to push back on that. You know, I don't, you know, who knows if there's anyone listening who like doesn't play soccer, right? But like, just because you are not an elite youth soccer player doesn't mean like you don't, you're not going to have transferable skills throughout the rest of your life. Sure. I think that based on this article and the things that they um, shown as evidence, I feel like uh, it may be that elite soccer players may perform especially well in high uh, stress situations because of the way that they have to read the field and like the vast number of changes that are going to happen. So I know that happens in a lot of sports. Like you have to be able to read your opponent and, you know, anywhere where there's a team, you have to be able to kind of follow stuff. But there's not always quite as many moving parts as there are in a constantly moving soccer field. So I think that that's specifically one of the skills that I saw here that was transferable. Um yeah, there was a lot of really interesting things about the higher cognitive functions and the lower cognitive functions. Um, like the, the the base cognitive functions, they said, you know, there was no difference between the two players. They all had uh, those base things like, you know, flexibility and um, they had they were perceived things quickly. Um, just like a lot of, of the base things that you would see in probably any sports player. Um, that there was no difference between the elite players and uh, the sub-elite players, but it was when you got to those higher level functions that they specifically tested. So working memory, um, the cognitive flexibility, and the metacognition, which I thought was just really interesting. So it's like an awareness and understanding of your own thought process, that those things really changed when you hit that elite level and how they tested them. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I think one of the other things that they mention um, is this idea of intelligence. And so intelligence is a really tricky thing um, to measure and to measure accurately and in a way that is culturally sensitive. Um, and so the podcast, you know, for people who listen to a lot of podcasts or listen to any podcast, um, I believe it was the podcast Radio Lab did a series of maybe three to four episodes talking about the history 
of um, how intelligence has been measured, um, you know, kind of in the Western world and like IQ tests and things like that. And so when they, uh, you know, and it, it, it comes out of the eugenics movement, which is just anyway, it's, it's horrific. Um, but so when they mentioned that, I was like, well, you can't actually measure intelligence in a way that, you know, you can accurately assess you know, people's ability to think about things. Anyway. Yeah. I, anyway, I did anyway. catch like their references. I went, Ooh, Oh, I know. I'm like, Oh, I'm or not. I might stop reading this paper. I don't know, but they like, they don't continue on with it. Like it's just, I think it's this brief overview that they're trying to connect to actionable skills for later in life, but they don't describe it well. And they just stick with intelligence. I'm like, Ooh, kids stop. Don't, I know. don't say it I like know. that. It sounds bad. Ugh. I know. It definitely, when I read it, I, you know, I have like this big like thing on my paper and I'm like, intelligence, you can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. Right. So anyway, um, it's a good thing. I was not one of the peer review people who reviewed this uh, prior to it being published because that would have been taken out anyway. Okay. So as we've talked about, and as you alluded to, they measure lower level cognition and higher level cognition. Um, And the way they kind of described it, at least the way that I understood it was like lower level cognition is like your reaction times. It's like your like immediate response to things. Whereas higher level cognition is a lot of the executive function, which I think you've you've highlighted that already. And they had these tests. And what I found interesting was like one of the tests in particular, um, what was it? The, the trail making test and the stop signal task both had components that measure both lower level and upper level. Yeah. Or did you level cognition? So I wrote down like a brief description of the test. And then at the end of the paper, I was like, if I just take these tests over and over again, I'll be a good soccer player. Right. Yeah, is that how that works? Exactly. Yes, that's how research okay, and great. science works. Okay, mm-hmm. so guys, to yep, become right. an elite soccer player, you need to do a lot of connect the dots. But sometimes you're connecting numbers, and sometimes you're connecting letters, and sometimes you're alternating between the numbers and the letters. That's your first test. Next, you're going to do a start stop task based on visual stimulus. So you're going to not start a task until a bunny runs across the screen and then you can start. But when you see the fox, you have to stop and do that over and over again. The next test was a tapping sequence, but you have to do it in reverse order that I give it to you, which I would never get that one right ever. Like I know, I, I know some of these. That was I, the failure actually... point. I was like, I'm never going to be an elite soccer player. I can't tap backwards. Like there's like 10 dots. Give me a break. And yeah, then... No. Finally, more connect the dots. But sometimes the dots are filled in and sometimes they're open circles and you can only use four lines to make unique designs. Also, I couldn't wrap my head around that one. So I'm half of an elite soccer player, I think. I could do there half of it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, it's, a, it's interesting because I have participated in quite a bit of research and some of it has had these types of cognitive tests. Um, you know, there's like, there was a pattern recognition one, um, anyway. And so as I was reading, I was like, oh, did I do any of these? Um, and, and I don't think it was any of, of these tests that, that I did for like the research that I participated in, which I guess just to put it out there, this, our conversation has taken a lot of turns already and we're not even that far in. 
Um, but if you are anywhere close to a university um, or like medical center or hospital, definitely check out if there are opportunities for to participate in research because there's a lot of like cognitive stuff or um, if you're willing to like get an MRI, you can like make a good amount of like money. Um, and anyway, so uh, just plugging that uh, for all other research out there. I And to be fair, I am also a researcher and I also try and recruit people. So um, please participate in our studies. I anyway. participated. I actually got an MRI in one of mine. Did you? I did. They were doing like stress and what it like how it affected your blood pressure. And I have really, really low blood pressure. So mine was just all over the place. (laughs) Same. I also have incredibly low blood pressure. And every time I go to the doctor, they're like, are you okay? Do you feel okay? I'm like, yeah, that's normal for me. Anyway. um, Okay. So let's circle back around. So what they did, they administered these tests to elite and sub-elite soccer players. It took about 40 minutes. They did it halfway through the season, which I thought was interesting and kind of like a good idea. I also noted that. I was like, I think this is really important that you're not doing it, especially for students. Like, I don't know what their school schedule is, but so they did it between January and March to cover all of the tests. I was really impressed with that idea. I was like, I never would have thought of that. So I, I appreciated that. Yeah, no, I am with you 100%. I I thought that was great. Um, they had a bunch of ethical per, uh, protections, which, again, they're doing these on minors, which, anyway, and the long story short is there are different classes of people who are hyper extra protected when it comes to research, and minors are one of them. So uh, they had some good ethical protections, which I thought were nice. Um and, okay, so when we get to the results section, I don't know if you noticed this, Liz, but they have, like, I think it's their first paragraph, something about normal male development. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, I wasn't, you know, they, like, talked about intelligence earlier. And then I'm like, normal? You know, and I understand there has to be a normal. But anyway, I kind of, I try and resist the type of language as much as I can. Yeah, I highlighted the whole first paragraph, and I was like, I know that they're just stating the facts, but I feel icky. <laughs> That's I my know. technical term. I was like, mm. Yes, my, the technical term for that is icky, uh, for anyone who's who's playing a technical term, bingo, for soccer better. Um, one of the other things, actually, that I was interested in um, – So what they did is they had the levels for the two different groups and then they compared them and what they were looking at was the effect size. And so the effect size tells you how big of a difference they are um, guessing that elite versus sub-elite soccer has on these cognition levels. And one of the things that is really important when you're doing research and when you're looking at effect sizes, when you're trying to find some kind of causal inference, which I know we've talked about causal inference on one of our other podcast episodes. I feel like that was like episode two or episode three. Um, But one of the things that you need is you need your analysis to be appropriately powered, which this is, this is like a very high level statistical thing, but long story short, you need to have enough observations you need to have enough people or uh i mean observation is the word right you need to have enough 
instances of what you're looking at to make sure that what you're seeing is actually due to what you think it is and it's not due to like some other thing that's happening. And so there is a whole approach to powering your study, which means that you have enough of a sample to get the effect size that you want. So I know this feels like really complicated. Maybe we can like link a YouTube video in the show notes that explains power if people are super interested in it. Um, But I actually was concerned because they don't have very many kids in their study. I think one group was 41 kids. One group was 47. And they didn't talk about power at all in their paper. And so as I was reading this and when I got to this table, I was like, ah, I don't actually know that they like had enough kids participating in their study to say what they're saying. So long story short, I don't know if we can actually believe these findings. Oh, see, as a non-clinician, I got (laughs) to the end and they're like, we could predict with 62%. And I was like, cool, you did it. Yes. Oh, and to be, I am not a clinician. I am a a researcher. Oh, well, Um, okay. Yes. My bad. I do health-related research, so... But yes, um, so anyway, but so let's just work on I the learned. assumption that we can believe what they're saying. Okay. Um, they just did not demonstrate one way or another. Like they didn't tell us, right? Yeah. And like, that's the problem. They should have told us. Okay. So let's talk about the results of this paper. Liz, you just said them. So why don't you tell us what they found? All right, so what they found was in the uh, elite players and for the, uh, what I, I keep calling them the higher level cognitive functions, but they call them something specific. Executive functions? I think they call them executive yes. functions. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, your inhibition control, cognitive flexibility, um, and the metacognition are like the, the basic things. Oh, and you're... Uh, yeah, so those are the, the high-arching ones that they tested. So the biggest difference between the elite and the sub-elite player, players was the metacognition. And I thought that was going to be like the, the whole basis of the rest of the, play, of the paper. But then they took into account the amount of practice time. And they, I, I, skewed is the wrong word, but they, they calculated that into all of it. And they said, you know what? Metacognition really isn't that different. It's just something that these elite players do more because of practice. And so that's actually something that they threw out as something that these sub-elite players are probably going to get to. Like they're going to have that self-awareness and be able to have the same metrics as the elite players. So the real differences were in the working mini- memory, the... In- inhibition control and the cognitive flexibility and those things were still really important and showed a substantial difference from the elite to the sub-elite players did I state all that correctly yes and let me tell you this paper I think more so than almost well we did that um risk adjustment one that was early on also um but actually I think those two were the same paper Anyway, um, we are like really getting into the statistical stuff, which I am just loving. You can't see my face right now, but I am just 
beaming. Yeah, so what they did was because, right, and we've talked about this on previous episodes, when you're comparing two groups before you do your testing, before you have your intervention, you want the two groups to be as identical as you possibly can. And what they found was there was a statistically significant difference in the number of hours that the elite players played compared to the sub-elite. And so this then plays out in their findings. And so what they end up doing is in their statistical model, which I love writing out models because I just think they look so pretty. (laughs) Anyway, you have like your Greek letters, like your alphas and your betas. Anyway, okay. She's glowing, guys. Just glowing. Glowing. Um, So, but what you do is you add that in. And so what that's doing is it's taking out all the variation related to, in this case, the number of hours of soccer played per week. And so what it it is attempting to do is even out. And so it um, pulls everyone to the mean. So the average... um, Right, and then they find that it's not statistically significant between the two groups, which is super interesting. I mean, I, I have a whole long note right. about it here. I would have thought that that would have continued to be significant, that you learn so much more about yourself at that elite level based on your ability to, to I don't know, incorporate yourself into the greater whole. But that's really not the case. Like, your ability to understand yourself seems to come much earlier, and you're able to analyze yourself and incorporate yourself much easier it's your ability to analyze and figure out the rest of the team that takes a lot more time and you know like some of it is natural skill do you know what I mean like some people are really good at memory games some people are really good at reading like those there are some things that are going to be natural skill but so I I was really surprised by that but it also I don't know. It makes me feel maybe a little bit better about the world that you can figure out yourself, even if you don't understand the rest of the world. Right. Well, although, although big asterisks. Wow. That was a struggle of a word. (laughs) Anyway, um, bringing up something that you said at the very beginning, right? These are like the top 12% best soccer players for their age group in the like in this club or the Netherlands, right? Like, yes, even though there like, isn't a different, like they didn't find a difference in metacognition, you know, when they controlled for the number of hours played, I feel like if you would take like your run of the mill community rec soccer player kid and give them the same test compared to this group, I, my guess is the difference would still be there. Even when you control for the number of hours of training that they have because right these are like even though they're calling them elite and sub elite and i have those in air quotes um they're still all elite right like let's not kid ourselves but anyway yeah but it feels like that might be one thing that you're able to teach a teach a player specifically like how this sounds really dumb but how to play the game and how to be part of a team even if you don't understand all the other players you can teach someone their position and they may not be super creative and they may not be able to do like whatever trick plays that you may want to but they can be super reliable and and super efficient if they understand their place and I think that that's what this showed me 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have another note here. And I, so real talk here. I read this, I first read it and wrote all my notes like a week and a half ago. Um, and I reviewed them before we talked uh, or we started recording today. But let me tell you, I like really went in on their like methodology <laughs> because I'm like, I don't know, there's a sec- there's a section that I highlighted and I said, you have to be really careful about using causation or causal language here because um, things can go both ways. You know, like the elite players may have something unique in and of themselves that makes them elite or the amount of practice and training and concentrated energy that they get can also cause differences in cognition, right? Like we don't know which way it goes, um, sure. like the direction of the causality. So I had that big note. Liz, were there other <laughs> findings? I feel like I'm like, let's not worry about the soccer so much. Let's really, really hone in on these authors um, approach to their research. But I think the way that you explain it allows me to analyze this in a way that I can apply it in a broader stroke, which is what we're always trying to do, right? We're trying to take these things that we're learning about soccer and that we're figuring out so that, you know, if we're ever involved with probably youth soccer specifically, that we can be supportive and that we can be useful and that we can, you know, get the best out of the kids, but also, you know, give them something you know, worthwhile out of this. So I think what you're talking about is the parts that I read. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad that you proved your point. That's delightful. And I, I mean, it's good to know that I need to take a step back. I think they do sort of address that and say, we don't know if how hard the practices were or what the quality of the practice were and what kind of drills, like how the differences in the, the drills were for those practices, how much of a difference those made, and we think that someone should do further research. So I appreciated that at the end they said there is more that needs to be done to find out if this is solely something that these this group of kids is probably already good at, and so they are more likely to become elite soccer players, or if it's once you show a certain amount of skill or you're introduced to these things early and you can recognize them that your practices become different, that your uh, games are harder, like whatever it is that makes that makes that jump to those things setting you apart from your peers who are like, I mean, honestly, not that much lower than you because the Netherlands is not that big, right? So the, the difference between the, the top 0.5% and the top 12.5%, like, I mean, you're talking less than 100 kids that they got. So this group is pretty small. Um, and to find those differences, there may be other things at play that I think they recognize you needed to research. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, well, maybe for some people, the frustrating part, but I find to be the super great part about research, it's that you're never done. And there's always, always, always something else to learn about and to discover. And I think one of the things, you know, through our conversation and also as, you know, when I first read the article and was kind of going through and thinking about it, I was really just thinking, okay, you know, certainly not every kid wants to and not every kid has access to the resources to really participate in a club that or in 
any activity, but, you know, in soccer, that is constant, that is high quality, you know, all these things. But I was wondering, Liz, do you have any kind of brainstorms after reading this article or thoughts about, okay, how are some ways that maybe, you know, your community rec soccer league could um, help their kids to gain some of the benefits that, you know, were found to you know, exist for these elite players? Yeah, I think that um, even though I don't like the way that they presented how this could be used in everyday life and like how they presented the intelligence question, I think that because the youth soccer leagues and some of our neighborhood stuff, it has to bridge these gaps, you know, like it, it, it takes on what used to be latchkey kids. Do you know what I mean? Like that's just not a thing anymore. I was a latchkey kid, but the stuff that my, the stuff that I was home alone for, I'm like, Oh, I wouldn't do that. That was silly. Like, like (laughs) things have just changed. So it bridges these gaps. So I think that taking some of these findings and being able to phrase them or work them into a way of, okay, this is where I'm seeing your strengths in school. And this is where I'm seeing your strengths on the field. Let's see if we can combine them. Yeah. There are things that you're not always going to be good at. And you don't have to be perfect at everything. But let's focus at like where you are good. So one of the lines that I picked out from here basically said that the elite players had better control of their actions, but they were not always faster and they definitely didn't have faster reactions. So you can be just as fast as everyone on the field. But if you if you can't if you don't have that control, do you know what I mean? Like if you if you're a little bit heavier on the ball, if you need a second touch, that's fine. But let's put you in a place where that's a benefit for you. Let's let's open up space around you. And it's got to be the same thing with your work. So if you're having trouble with math, what do we need to do to, I mean, because of the school system, and that's a whole other conversation that we should never get into. But because of the way <laughs> the schools are structured, like let's, what do we have to do to get you through? But where do you excel or where do you show interest in actually challenging yourself and how do we get more of that challenge into your life so that let, let's let's push to the front of this but let's give you some space to actually explore your strengths so I think that that's the kind of conversation that I would have and like that's the kind of thing that I would like to see become a conversation for those kind of leagues where we're, we're supporting this in between this former latchkey you know status the kids had Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I have been thinking a lot about when it comes to many things, but specifically related to this article, I really wonder what potential differences may exist between kids who don't have any kind of after school extracurricular activities versus kids who maybe once, twice a week are going and having an hour, two hour long soccer practice. And the reason I'm really interested in that is thinking about, okay, how can we provide additional support and provide additional resources for these kids who don't have the opportunity to you know, and, and at least in the States, right, it's so expensive, yeah, right, to participate in, you know, elite club soccer. And so how can we expand access to resources so that some of these kids are, like, getting the benefits that will have lifelong, you know, 
you know, benefits to uh, their lives. How, how can we get them and right and get them involved in soccer, right? Because there are the social aspects. There's the physical aspects, right? Of like getting out and doing activity and goodness. I mean, I, right. I played soccer for a very long time and I was not like the ever, ever the most in shape person. (laughs) Right. But even now thinking, you know, thinking back, you know, and I'm really dating myself here a very long time ago, you know, 10 plus. Yes, definitely. It was definitely only 10 years ago. Um, Right. But like thinking about how active I was and like consistently active. And now I'm like, well, it's a little dark out and it's a little chilly. So I'm just going to stay here and watch more Netflix. Right. But um, anyway, so all of that to say that that's something that really resonated with me and something that's kind of been going over and over in my mind is just how can we expand these opportunities to kids who wouldn't otherwise have access yeah and i've been thinking so it's currently 2020 i think we've mentioned this multiple times the world is a crazy place but we're dealing with covid19 and a lot of us are still basically in lockdown and school has started back up at this point so i don't have kids and i don't plan on having kids not because i don't like them but just it there there's plenty of my family around i didn't need to have kids and i started buying yarn and now I have to have money for yarn. So. Oh God, instead of college tuition, you will, you're like a college tuition amount of yarn. There's a whole room of it. It's, it's done. But because of like, but I am involved with, you know, a number of groups and a number of these people have kids. And as we're reading these papers and I'm thinking like, okay, like we're trying to make the world a better place through soccer and we're trying to soccer better. And these things that I'm learning about just what even basic practice can do for some of these kids based on their research. Like, even if it's not, you know, the perfect research, and even if we give them a lot of grief about how they did the things that they did and what they said about it, there's definitely benefits. So is there an opportunity for me who is not, stuck in the house with my child all day trying to do school and my work if I have a if I is there an opportunity for me to start building that village so okay you you five people trust me none of your children are a fire starters or b runners because like I don't need five runners and I I don't need four runners and one fire starter like will they can they follow base instruction can I take them for an hour and go to our local park like it's gonna be part of our village like and we go there and I'll learn some drills and I'll teach them some drills and then we'll like you know go a little bit of back and forth and it won't be a soccer game but if they're interested in the game they could take that forward to finding some kind of league and if if you know someone says oh well this is happening in our park and we get a couple of people together then you know one of the youth soccer groups that are you know prevalent throughout our city luckily may say this is a worthwhile place to invest like how does that start and maybe it it takes a village to start it so i've really you're right it's been weighing on on me and on my mind and how can i use this what we're doing to help build a village for everyone who's going through so much extra right now with their children yeah no absolutely 100 percent. and especially while the weather is still you know, it's still relatively, right? We're in Western Pennsylvania. So the weather is still okay to be outside. Um, uh, but yeah, like how can, like we can be outside and you can be safe 
and we cannot get COVID while we are outside, right? Like there are ways to do this uh, in a way that's that's safe. So Liz, wow, we had a really great conversation about this. Um, Did you have any other kind of final parting thoughts you would like to share with us? No, this paper was, you know, very straightforward. It got me thinking about a couple of things. Um, I'm still really upset that the tests prove I will never be an elite soccer player. I really am upset that it's too late. Just my heart's broken, Laura Ellen. How about you? Last thoughts? Uh, you know, I, th- I think we've said it all. I think um, I know I have this at the beginning, the very beginning of every episode, but I think for me, this is just another reminder, right? Like that Black Lives Matter and that we need to make sure that we have equitable, not equal, equitable access for all people um, and especially our um, black friends and family members and neighbors who have been historically and continually and systemically and constantly um discriminated against and have had their resources um taken away from them so anyway let me just be real clear real clear that black lives matter and uh yeah and let's let's soccer better liz let's let's do it let's do the thing and let's soccer better soccer better build a village let's do it all right bye liz bye Thank you to our host, the Beautiful Game Network. BGN covers teams across the MLS, USL Championship, and USL League One. Check out podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. You can follow us on Twitter at BGN Soccer Better. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Otherwise, let us know what you think about today's show and be sure to share it with a friend. Thanks, everyone. Remember, you can always soccer better. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to USL, MLS, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.